Hello and welcome back to the EPL Roundtable. I'm your host, Kevin DeVries, and as always, if you'd like to reach us at the podcast, you can do so by either tweeting us at EPL Roundtable or emailing us at EPLRoundtable at gmail.com. Hi, I'm Rob Pollard. Um, I write for the Manchester Evening News, uh, primarily about City, but also about United. Uh, and I'm the Bleacher Report as Manchester City correspondent as well. And you can follow me on Twitter at Rob Pollard underscore. I'm Dave Hendrick from All In Sports Talk and TheAnfieldIndex.com. You can follow me on Twitter at DaveHendrick underscore AI. All right, thanks so much for joining us, guys. Up first, of course, we have Making the Rounds, where we each have a few minutes to discuss what's been happening at our clubs this week. Uh, Rob, we were just talking. Uh, City, obviously, on an upwards trajectory at the moment, that Liverpool result aside. How are you feeling about City at the moment? It's very, very strange um, at the moment. There's so much to play for still, uh, remarkably. I mean, City genuinely still have a chance of winning the league despite only having um, 50 points at this stage of the season, which is their lowest at this stage of the season since 2009, uh, which I think just underlines how strange the season's been really as a whole. Um, but yeah, there's still so much to play for, yet there's a feeling that um, the squad have underperformed right throughout the season. So it's uh, it's set up to be quite a, quite a finish. I mean, if we were talking earlier about how sort of Champions League is definitely a priority in the City boardroom. I mean, I don't think there's any expectation that City are going to win the Champions League this season. They're, they're a pretty patient board and they they understand that these things take time. But at the same time, they want to um, achieve progress. They've got one foot in the last eight. That would be an historic moment for the club because they've never been to the last eight before. And there's a real opportunity that City could get a winnable last eight tie because there's at least two teams going to be in there that they could beat. So I think the club are looking at that and semi-final in the Champions League would certainly be a success. They've already won the League Cup, obviously. Um, and somehow they still have a chance of of winning the Premier League. I don't know how, but they have. Um, it's a very small chance, I think, even if they win their game in hand. They're still seven points behind Leicester with uh, with not long left. But um, stranger things have happened. And this City squad have proven in the past that, A, they tend to finish seasons strongly. Uh, and, B, they can sort of cruise um, for long periods and then really turn it on when it matters. Um, and if they were to do that again, who knows. But uh, they haven't won. This is a, an incredible start. I don't know if you're aware. City haven't won back-to-back league matches for five months. You have to go back to mid-October, when they beat Newcastle and Bournemouth back-to-back to to actually find the last time Manchester City won two Premier League games on the bounce. And when you you look at the quality of the squad, that really is just a a staggering statistic. And um, they've got to not just string two wins together. I'd say they've got to string sort of nine, maybe even ten. So it's a big ask, but they are still in with a chance. So... I mean, the last few weeks sort of sum up the season, really. I mean, they sort of produced a great performance in Kiev, albeit that needs to be tempered with the fact that Kiev were not very good. Um, then I thought they were absolutely superb in the League Cup final, and really it was a mystery why it took penalties for them to win that. I thought they had more chances than Liverpool created more chances. Then they went to Anfield on Wednesday and got absolutely pummeled from start to finish in one of the most disappointing performances they've given in a long time. And then on Saturday, they were great again against Aston Villa. So they're a very, very strange side and very difficult to predict. Yeah, there have been a lot of rumours floating around that if you somehow missed out on top four, that Pep Guardiola wouldn't come. What's your view on that? Well, my understanding of that is that that's not true. And um, it wouldn't make any sense, would it, that the club... Uh, sort of announced that mid-season, which was seen by many as a strange decision anyway. It's not something we're used to in English football, really. Um, So for them to have gone to those unusual lengths and it not to be confirmed would be remarkably stupid. Um, And I know Sam Wallace at the... um, Not the Independent anymore, the Telegraph, um, wrote a piece of the weekend saying he had information that that was definitely not the case. 
and no matter what happens, Guardiola will be coming uh, on July the 1st and he's going to be, I mean, every summer's big for every club, you know, particularly the big clubs these days when you have these tours abroad and you're unveiling players and City are going to unveil a manager in China, um, the most coveted manager in the world. Um, and I think that there's a feeling in the boardroom at City that this is kind of the biggest moment in the club's history, or certainly since uh, the takeover in 2008. This is the biggest statement that the club have made, you know, not winning the Premier League, not signing Rubinho, not signing Yaya Toure or whatever people felt with sort of the seismic moments previously. I think there's a, a very strong feeling that this is without doubt the biggest statement they've made because the manager, as Alex Ferguson always used to say at United, um, was, you know, is that the manager is the most important person at a football club and I think most of us would agree with that. And the fact that City have kind of gone out there and barged their way to the front of the queue and, and got the most coveted manager in the game, I think, um, you know, is, is quite something really. So it's going to be a huge summer tour in China and I also wouldn't put it past the club unveiling a new club in China with the whole City Football Group enterprise now. They've got different clubs in different corners of the world, New York, Melbourne already and um, I would be very surprised if they didn't unveil Pep Guardiola to world-class players and a new you know, Shanghai City or whatever it might be um, while they're away. So it's it's going to be a huge summer for the for the club. There's no question about that. All right, thanks. Well, and Dave, you were on the other side of those uh, Liverpool City matches. Obviously, things seem to be upticking for you as well. How are you feeling about Liverpool? Uh, pretty good. If I can just point out quickly, uh, Sam Langson, the legendary chairman of Derby County, would disagree that the manager is the most important person, having once told Brian Clough that the uh, the owner the players, the fans, the groundsmen and everybody else was more important than Clough uh, before <laughs> Clough left and took their biggest rivals to European glory. But yeah, like Guardiola's huge for City. And uh, based on what I've seen of Pellegrini this season and some poor uh, tactical moves, I would say a move well needed, despite the fact that Pellegrini has had some success at City, including winning the title. Um, for us, Liverpool should have been beaten comfortably um, at Wembley, City really should have won that game four or five nil. Uh, truth be told, there's there's no question they were the better team. Sterling uh, doing <laughs> Sterling a couple favors there. Yeah, I, I I don't know I don't know what Rob's view on him is. I think he's been really poor for most of the year. Um, I think he tends to turn up when City are already winning games. Um, he missed two sitters. Aguero missed a couple of great chances. Um, Mignolet made a good save from either Fernando or Fernandinho, I can't really remember, but it was more a bad miss than a good save. Now, Liverpool fans will tell you it was the reason Liverpool kept it to just one goal conceded was because of a great performance by Lucas Baresi Leva. But the truth is that Liverpool got carved apart and City just missed their chances. Um, when it went to penalties, I genuinely thought we were going to win the game because we just seemed to have had, had a bit of luck on our side. But, uh, City took the penalties well, and Willie Caballero was unbelievable in goal. Um, then came the return game, and as I said to you before we started recording, I just don't think City turned up. Liverpool played well, but you could tell from the first couple of minutes the City just weren't up for it. They were still on a high after winning the Cup. And it's the same, I look back to when Liverpool lost the Cup final, the FA Cup final to Chelsea a few years ago and then played them in the league a couple of nights later at Anfield, and Chelsea just didn't turn up, and Liverpool smashed them 4-0. Um, you can't, like, those kind of games after a cup final, the, the team who loses are generally the team that will win. The team who loses the cup final will generally win the league meeting, because the team that wins the cup final tends to be a little bit switched off, you know, because they've just had a big success. Um, we played Palace at the weekend, and uh, um, a tremendous victory for us. A really poor performance on the whole, but great spirit, great determination. Um, to come back from 1-0 down with 10 men at Palace, I know they're in a terrible run at the moment, but they've been a bogey team for us. Pardew's been a bogey manager for us as well. Um, so we, I was delighted. Ben Teke coming off the bench, having been left out of the cup final altogether, didn't even come on, um, watched Origi come on in his place. 
when he should have been coming on for Sturridge. He wasn't even looked at. And again, against Palace, Origi gets the start. Benteke doesn't. And he could well have sulked. He could well have thrown the toys from the pram. But he just didn't. And he stepped up and scored a big penalty for us. And, you know, we're um, we're getting better as the weeks go. That's three wins on the bounce now in the league uh, for Liverpool. That's the first time that's happened this season. Um, like, we're six points behind City. But, uh, like, I know City fans are, think they can win the league and they're 10 points behind Leicester. I, I don't think we'll catch City. I don't think we'll get top four unless Arsenal collapse. Um, I think we will finish Which ahead Which we could United. have uh, hastened this weekend. Failed yes, if you'd, if you'd been feeling generous, you could have done that for <laughs> us, but you didn't. Um, <laughs> but, like, I, I think we'll finish fifth. I do. I think we'll finish ahead of United. I think we'll finish ahead of West Ham. Um, although, if we continue to go... F- go on in the Europa League then maybe not because the extra games will take the toll but um and we also we play United in that so that'll be huge so um it's like we're a work in progress Klopp is trying to fix a mess and it's going to take time but the last couple of games in the league have, have at least been promising um just on the topic obviously of the the uh Palace game People should settle down about a couple of things like, you know, cry arson about penalties and stuff. Um, I, I'm guessing that's your next question for me anyway. <laughs> it was going to be, yeah. Yeah, I mean, look, it, it's a penalty. He, he, he makes contact in the box. He's sliding on his knees for reasons known only to him. It's a, You do that, you're just asking for a penalty to be given against you. And I'd like to draw everyone's attention to a petition that has been started. <laughs> this is so great. I saw this. By uh, Adam Greaves. And uh, if, if you'll allow me, I'll, I'll read this petition. Ban Christian Benteke and fine Liverpool FC six points. During the Premier League game on Sunday, 6 March 2016, between Crystal Palace and Liverpool, in the 94th minute, Liverpool player Christian Benteke dived, capitalised, to con the referee and officials to award Liverpool with a penalty, which subsequently won them the game. According to the Football Association, or FA, diving, or simulation, is against the rules. We, fans of Crystal Palace, demand that the FA look into this decision, and if found that Christian Benteke did simulate contact, he should be banned for a number of games, and Liverpool Football Club, LFC, should be fined six points at a minimum. We understand that the result of the game cannot be changed, but the FA need to come down on this sort of behaviour. Now, there's many things wrong with this, aside from the lack of punctuation, grammar, uh, the appalling spelling. Um, the inability to understand what the word simulate means. Um, Christian Benteke didn't simulate contact. There clearly was contact. He may have exaggerated said contact, but he didn't invent it. it. It happened. It's clear to see. It's on your television. Watch the game. Um, people need to settle down. It's mm-hmm. a penalty. I saw a really interesting comment earlier today that said it's a no-win situation because if you stay up, you're naive. But if you go down, you're cynical, which I yeah. thought was a, a fair assessment. And uh, as always, the longstanding attitude towards penalty calls on this podcast is don't put yourself in that situation. And as you pointed out, sliding in on your knees... I did see somebody say that that was him trying to pull out of it out of a challenge, but he started out on his knees. Exactly. If you're trying to pull out of the tackle, just stop running in that direction and don't, don't slide on your knees. Yeah. Like <laughs> the great thing is, you've got Arsenal fans playing the high and mighty over this, led by the prophet John Cross. Boom. Um, who whose team won countless penalties over the years through cynical play by Henri, Burkamp and Perez while winning titles under Wenger. I'm sure Mr. Cross wasn't calling for those penalties to be rescinded. Um, I've seen United fans cry arse about this as well. Um, at least two ex-United players have written in autobiographies that they were told by Alex Ferguson, if you're fouled in the box or you feel any contact in the box, go down. So, you know, like let's let's 
just be real about it. Let's bypass the outrage. You know, if, if he doesn't touch Benteke, Benteke probably scores anyway. I, don't, I mean, I don't know about that. He was running perpendicular to the goal, a fair bit to the side. But Yeah, but look at what McCarthy had done earlier in the game. Mm. He wasn't having a good day. Yeah. All right, thanks, Dave. Uh, for Tottenham, there was this small match. I don't know if it was publicized at all, playing Woolwich Arsenal. Um, <laughs> but uh, Saturday, there were a lot of ups and downs in this North London derby. Uh, all in all, the outcome probably fair. Uh, Tottenham did dominate the first probably half hour or so before Arsenal really started to find their footing. Uh, and then did get a lucky bounce, but the finish was very well uh, executed by Aaron Ramsey with the back heel. Um, you you kind of think that Lloris may get to that one. He does get a hand on it, not enough to push it away. Uh, but it did feel uh, undue at the time, maybe maybe a touch harsh. But uh, things obviously tar- uh, changed in the second half when Coquelin picked up uh, the first, but definitely not the last of the idiotic double yellows. Uh, this weekend, um, and then we scored twice in seven minutes after he was sent off. One with a very nice finish from Alderweireld, and the second one was very well taken by Harry Kane, and it was a gentle reminder to people that mistakenly think all he does is score tappins. He really doesn't score many tappins at all. Um, maybe ten or twenty percent of his goals come that way, but most of them come from a, a fair distance, and this one comes from a very small angle. I will point out. Uh, that David Ospina is a very tiny man, and it, it kind of haunted him on this one. You think maybe a, length, uh, a lengthier keeper, like if Czech was fit, maybe he does get to that far corner, but it, it was taken so well, it, it's hard to say that that wasn't a deserved goal. Um, unfortunately, after last week, when I praised all of Pochettino's substitutions and said he was getting infinite back, the first two were very strange. Uh, bringing Ryan Mason on for Eric Lamella, who had had the most tackles in the match for Ryan Mason, who at times has been slipping back into some of his poor defensive habits of late. Um, Then Danny Rose, who had been having kind of an up-and-down match, but facing uh, Alexis Sanchez for large swaths of the game, it it wasn't unexpected. It's not like he was playing particularly poorly. Um, But then he gets taken out for Ben Davis, and that obviously was not... Uh, ideal either, considering that we were trying to deal with their pace. So bringing on Davis, who's a touch slower, didn't seem the right move at the time. Uh, Alexis Sanchez beats our high line. Uh, Steve, who actually mentioned to me earlier in the week that we aren't talking about how Spurs play a high line anymore. And my point was, you don't talk about a high line when it's working. You only ever talk about it when it's not working. And that's what happened with the Alexis Sanchez goal. Uh, Two got caught up, two got caught back allowed Sanchez a nice little pocket to slip through and score the the equalizer. And Lloris should have done better uh, on the Sanchez goal, but uh, I'm not going to make too much of a fuss about it considering how many games Lloris has won so many years. Uh, I, I saw some people saying it's not his fault. It, it was, though. Yes, the, the surface was slick because of the weather, but Hugo Lloris makes those saves. An average keeper, maybe you say, okay, he bobbles it, it goes in. But if... Tottenham fans insist on saying that Hugo Lloris is the best keeper in the Premier League. You'd expect that to be saved. Um, even if you don't think that, you'd expect a keeper of his like to, to save that. Uh, like I said, I keep flip-flopping on, on if I'm taking positives from this or negatives from this. It basically changes by the hour. I'll just stick with what I said on Twitter, which was that this match hurt our title chances but helped our Champions League chances. End of the day, it is a North London derby. Getting a draw against the third-place team in the Premier League is hardly a bad result. Were there points in that match where we should have lost? Yes. Were there points where we should have won? Yes. Um, but they did close out the match very strongly. Uh, the last 10 minutes or so, they were really pushing. So, so the final whistle did come uh, <laughs> to a lot of relief for myself. Um, things do not get easier this week. Uh, we have Dortmund away. Uh, but we can probably play our best 11 uh, in both legs, as we have Villa and Bournemouth after those Europa League matches, which, uh, considering we got such a difficult draw, I, I think is a merciful place in our schedule for that to come. Like, if the Dortmund matches had bookended Arsenal, we'd be in a lot worse situation. Uh, but we'll see how that goes. I per- I'm not saying that we're going to beat Dortmund by any stretch. There are some people that are starting to get more excited about that. I am much less confident than that. 
But I do think if we start our, our best 11, there would be merit to it in, in keeping these matchups close as opposed to kind of sending out the secondary 11 only for them to get blown out and potentially hurt the mentality and pride of the team, which is kind of one of the strongest suits at the club at the moment. Uh, it may be difficult as Della Ali may miss out. He's apparently dealing with some knocks, which I think most fans probably knew in the back of their mind he had been laboring a bit of late. Um, but to his credit, you know, it should probably be noted once again that not only is he holding his own, but he's thriving in the Premier League, including a North London Derby at just 19 years old. So uh, very impressed with him, but we could be out with him uh, for a couple weeks. But it's not official. It's just, is he going to be good to go that day or not? So only time will really tell there. All right, and now we will head into the topic, which is kind of related to all those red cards I mentioned earlier, and the midweek matches, in fact, uh, where we saw a lot of surprising results uh, with Arsenal and Tottenham both picking up just one point this week. Do you think the pronounced unpredictability of this season will continue into next season, or do you think that the big clubs will reestablish themselves in the top six? I think the unpredictability of the Premier League is probably going to continue. I think um, the money that's in the league um, will ensure that is the case. I think um, the next television deal is astronomical in in terms of its value. I think it's it's over five billion pound before you've even sold the rights abroad. Um, there's actually an argument to suggest now that the next time Deloitte released their list of the thirty um, wealthiest clubs in Europe, that every you know twenty of the Premier League teams, all twenty of them will be in there um, next year purely because of the amount of money that's coming from this next TV deal. So the effect that's having is that there's a trickle down in terms of quality. So, I mean, you only have to look at it this year. Um, I think I've named these players on this podcast in the past as like really good examples of of this newfound wealth, but players like Alden at Newcastle, um, you know, he's a £15 million player. He just captained... PSV was considered the best player in the Dutch league. He got PSV to the Champions League and decided to leave for a club who were, you know, traditionally in the bottom half of the Premier League. So I think that one sort of tells you everything you need to know. Uh, Dimitri Payet, uh, Andre Ayew, um, you know, obviously Mares, but I don't think people saw that one come in particularly. But what you're seeing with the increased wealth is a spread of quality across the league that was never there before. So there's always been a cliche in the Premier League that there's no easy games. I think, you know, perhaps in the past that's not necessarily been true. I can remember two or three times United won the league purely by destroying the bottom half of the table, home and away. I don't really think you're going to see that as much um, in the next few years. I think there's, you know, there's there's players now who are coming to this country um, because they can earn a lot of money. And they're not necessarily going to top four sides, really. Um, I think, you know, Dimitri Payet is a good example. He could probably hold his own in any squad in the league, really. You know, um, I'm not necessarily saying he would start every single game for for City or whoever. I mean, he, he probably would at City, to be fair. But uh, he'd certainly be in and amongst it at any squad in the league. And yet he's playing for West Ham and these players can hurt you and that's why, you know, it has been unpredictable. Now I'm not saying, you know, a team like Leicester are gonna are gonna be at the top of the table at this stage next season. I think this one has been particularly unpredictable. But what I am saying is that perhaps that um established elite who, you know, definitely had a gap on the rest, that appears to have been eradicated and, and it probably stay like that for the time being. And I think that that's a good thing for the Premier League. I think you know, people talk about the Bundesliga being, you know, a shining example of how you run a um, a football authority, um, and it's not really because you know there's sort of one team in it. You look at Spain; there's traditionally two teams in it. I think Atletico Madrid deserve great credit for breaking that up, but you know, more often than not, there's there's two major players there. You know, the Premier League this year. You look at it now and. You know, conceivably, there's a there's a handful of sides who can win it, and that that's it's interesting and it and it's good for the competition. So I I can only see that continuing really, 
given the sums of money that are coming into the league. I mean, when you consider the team that finishes bottom of the table next season, he's going to get £99 million in, you know, in uh, revenue guaranteed. I mean, that's astronomical sums of money, isn't it? So they, they, they can compete. Any any team in the Premier League can compete with pretty much every team in Europe, with the exception of the very, very obvious few. See, I, I kind of go the other way. I, I, I do agree with most of what Rob has said. And the money coming in from this TV deal has changed the playing field quite a bit. But, see, I, I genuinely feel that this league is terrible. I genuinely think it's awful. I think the talent base has been diluted to the point where, like, fair enough there's more money, but there's still only the same amount of players. And, like... See, Payet comes in, he's having a really good season. Is he going to be a one-season wonder? Is this his level? See, he'd he never shown this level before. He was really good at Marseille for a while, but he dropped off. He was good at St. Etienne, but he dropped off. Same with Mares. Is he a one-season wonder or is he a top-end player? I think the league is just really poor. And if you look at any of the really good years of the Premier League or any of the really good teams that have won the Premier League, and you put them into this league right now, they'd win it by 25 points. Like, City are in title contention, sitting in fourth on 50 points. Leicester are leading the league with nine games to go on 60 points. Like, it's that is ridiculous at this point. Given where we looked to be a couple of years ago when City won the league, Liverpool finished second, and Chelsea finished third in Mourinho's first year, and it looked like there could be a really strong core group developing. You also were going to have United rebuilding with Van Hal arriving. Arsenal looked like they'd finally found their way. Spurs were getting Pochettino in the summer. And it looked like the Premier League was going to really, really go from strength to strength. But you've seen the end of cycles at certain clubs. At United, the end of the Ferguson era... A lot of the playing staff got old together and they were allowed to by Ferguson. Vidic, Ferdinand, Evra, Giggs and Scholes, obviously, Carrick. All of these players kind of going out together, that's killed that club. They're in an awful lot worse of a state than people realise. They've spent £250 million in the last couple of years under Van Hal. And yet they're still probably five players away from having a title contending team. <clears throat> and they're probably going to lose their best player in De Gea this summer. Um, you look at Chelsea, again, the end of an era. The whole thing with Mourinho seems, seems to have gone toxic and just riddled the club top to bottom. Too much reliance on the likes of Ivanovic, who's passed his best and Terry, who had just become has has become a liability, and nobody seems to want to admit it admit it publicly. Um, at City, you've got managerial upheaval. The announcement on in January that they're going to change manager in the summer, not a Premier League thing to do, very much a German thing to do. Um, Liverpool changing manager, Spurs still developing a really good young squad, but perhaps lacking. The, the true top-end players to get you over that hump. But all these players are quite young at Spurs. And then Arsenal, who are kind of a mixed match of some things that are really good, some things that are really poor. And right in the middle, you, middle you've got Koscielny, who might be the most overrated defender in the league. So, like, I, I don't see one standout good team. I don't see... Like, Leicester are a decent team who have a strong unit and then one standout player having the season of his life. And they have a play style that counters all the other big sides. Exactly. They don't the need is, the ball. They don't want the ball. They'd be worse they, with They're the set up as a small as a small club who are set up to win 40 points a season. That's what they're set up to do. They're set up to counterattack and get 40 points over the course of a season. And nobody yet has figured it out that if you give them the ball... They struggle. If you let them have 60% of the ball, they struggle. They're not actually all that good defensively when you hit them on the counter because they tend to get too many people going forward because of how they're set to play as this counter-attacking wave. If you let them have the ball 
and let them on to you, you can hit them on the counter-attack. But yeah. teams just like, and again, like you, you look at how poor this Premier League is defensively. Spurs are a good defensive team, but Chelsea have been terrible defensively, defensively this season. United started the season looking good at the back. Van Hal got a load of criticism, changed things around because of injuries, and they've looked to shambles. De Gea has saved them countless times. I have a question about Manchester United. Have you yeah. noticed that their worst results come when what you think is their better 11s are out there? Yes. When they're, mi- when they're mix-matching kids, their mm. results just seem a lot better than when they're rolling out. Like, they finally got Rojo back. And you had Blint back there and Smalling. And you're like, oh, well, things are going to get better now. And then don't show up against West Brom. I know they had the early red card with Juan Mata. But it was it was very strange. Every time it looks like their best 11 is getting back to fitness or Memphis starts to be more involved again, then the can struggles we, come. It's really strange. Can we just take a moment to compliment Louis van Gaal on giving the most ridiculous reason as to why a player should not be sent off? Because he's a nice guy. <laughs> I know, I know, referee, he broke his leg in 11 places, but he's a nice guy. He reads to the blind. He's a nice guy. Let him off. It's, Van Hal becomes just more and more of a caricature every single week. And like there's, there's chaos behind the scenes at United. There's people leaving the club left, right and centre. Um, in terms of their academy, there's lots of unhappy players. There seems to be a massive rift between Giggs and Van Hal. Uh, it just like it's it's the perfect storm for Leicester this year, in that nobody has set up well enough to play them, because none of the teams bar Spurs can defend properly, and all the other good teams, good and I I mean good teams as in the teams that are traditionally good, have just been terrible. I mean, as Rob said, like City haven't won back to back league games in five months. They're not a good team. They have great players. They're not a good team. Arsenal, not a good team. Liverpool, not a good team. United, not a good team. West Ham are fifth. They've got a bunch of bang average players who would struggle in the championship a lot of years. Most of them did play in the championship a couple of years ago. Well, not most of them. I, so, I, I think that's harsh. I, I think the Lanzini, Payet, Antonio thing is... Well, la, it's a, definitely trending Antonio is just is a yard dog. He's just a fancy yard dog. Lanzini's a very talented player. I think he might be the most talented of the bunch. But they don't own him. I know they have some agreement in place, but there's still a chance that goes pear-shaped. I think Bilic has done a fantastic job. And if Ranieri wasn't doing the job he was doing, I think Bilic would be manager of the year. And I know, with a nod to Pochettino. Oh, yeah. <laughs> with a nod to Poch, who, who I, I adore. I think he's fantastic. I think Bilic has done an incredible job there. Uh, we actually talked about United there a little bit, and you mentioned in your intro that you have to cover them sometimes. Uh, what was your take on all that about Manchester United? Um, United have been absolutely awful. I mean, I agree with large parts of what Dave is saying. I mean, the league isn't good necessarily. What what I meant really in terms of the spread of quality is I think that the gap is, is going to be reduced. I'm not, I'm not saying that the status quo will not reaffirm themselves at the top of the table from next season or beyond. Um, But I do feel the days of kind of um, predictability in the way that it once was probably are over because I do think you're going to find, and it's, and it's going to get, this is going to increase. You are going to find that there is more and more quality players going to clubs uh, outside the traditional top four, five, six teams. I think there's a real opportunity for, Liverpool and Manchester City in in the coming season because they've got top managers and as I said earlier I agree with Alex Ferguson the manager is the most important person at a club um, and I think Liverpool deserve great credit actually for going out there and getting uh, who at the time was pretty much the, the best option they could have got um, but going back to United I think that they are at shambles I agree with David that they've spent so much money and yet they are so far off, um, you know, being a title contending side. I mean, they're, they're close to City, but City are spectacularly messing everything up. 
um, and they've still got them at arm's length. So I think that says a lot about United's situation. The squad looks a little bit more balanced this year than it did last year. I think last season it was incredibly top-heavy. Um, there's a bit more of a spread of strength in, in certain areas, um, but still it's just a, it's nothing like the United sides I grew up watching. And um, it's bizarre, really, how quickly they've managed to dismantle um, a very strong squad and turn it into a very, very average one, with the caveat, of while course... While spending tons of money. While spending tons of money. I mean, the caveat this season, of course, is that you know you have to admit that they've, they've suffered a, a hell of a lot of injuries, but even so, mm. it's still um, a remarkably average squad in pretty much every sense. I mean, I was tr- trying to think about it the other day, which player would you take from United? De Gea aside, which player would you most want at your football club? Herrera. And... Well, I I was impressed with him at first, but not so much anymore. I think he's he drifts through games and and doesn't necessarily offer you too. He's a tidy player. Don't get me wrong, but you, you know there are plenty of tidy players out there. Um, I just look. Also, at what Valencia. happened to Schneiderlin? Was was that just the Southampton illusion again? It's the Victor Wanyama. <laughs> oh, oh, it is the same with Jose Font. Never, never Jose trust who's Font, next Dave, to him. Dejan Lovren. <laughs> Toby Alderweireld is the new player that's come out of Southampton. He was really from Atleti, so... Exactly. And played at the same level. Lovren's been a disgrace since joining Liverpool. Font, Okay, did he look kind of decent against Palace, though? He had an appalling first half. Okay, but... See, the thing is, here's the thing, though. He has set the bar for himself so So low (laughs) that if he manages to get through 90 minutes without falling over and pulling the ball into his own net. That's now considered a success. <laughs> it's the same. Like this is, this is a real thing with Liverpool. The bar is so low for certain players. Lucas Leiva, Martin Skirtle, Pebbles Lovren, John Flanagan, Simon Mignolet. Literally, they managed to dress themselves and get on the pitch and not fall over and have their boots on the right feet. That is now considered a successful afternoon's work because they've just set the bar so low. Whereas other players, the likes of an Emre Jean comes in, plays really well, then has a bit of a drop. All of a sudden, all hell breaks loose, people want them sold. Albi Moreno, the same, comes in from Sevilla with a good reputation, struggles under Rodgers, because Rodgers doesn't coach the team how to defend, not once in three years did he bother with a defensive training session. Um, <clears throat> and, and all of a sudden, Moreno's not playing to the level that some people expect. And he makes a couple of mistakes. And the worst part for him is that he's generally played beside Lovren. He hasn't actually played a huge amount of football next to Sacco in a back four. So they haven't had a chance to build any kind of rapport. And I can only imagine the playing with Lovren in next year would drive you demented. So he probably doesn't even listen to him. So like Liverpool, it's weird. It's just there's, there's different ex- expectations for different players. Um. Lovren is just a shambles, though. Like even yesterday, when he allegedly played well, he he made about seven or eight mistakes that you would see in a Sunday league game and shake your head at. <laughs> yeah. So. Um. Uh. To the... I, th- I think and I think Martial is the one player you would take from United. Yes, of course, but not for the yeah, fee they because... paid. Oh, definitely not for the fee. And see, that's. Do you remember thing. when Tottenham thought we got him for twenty million, and then yeah. he resigned a contract, and then United spent three times that. <laughs> But the thing is, right, they paid 38, was it 38 to rise to 54 or something ludicrous? I've heard it all the way up to like 80, starting at like 30. I have no idea. Realistically speaking, what they have paid for him is he, I think he will be worth that money eventually when he reaches like the apex of his career. I think he will be a 50 million pound player. Do you think he reaches his apex of his career out on the left wing for some strange reason? Absolutely not and absolutely not under Van Hal. And I really don't think he does it under Mourinho either. Um, so I, I think Mourinho going there is a disaster for a couple of players at that club. Um, but like they've paid more than they're ever going to be able to get back for him if they ever needed or wanted to sell him, no matter how, like, what level. I, He's I just playing don't where Depay is supposed to be playing. Yeah. Just like, stunting two of their like. developments. Yeah, and it's just, it's stupid. Like, it's so stupid. It's so Van Hal. 
I think he he deep down knows what they should be doing, but I think he's just put it in his head that he's just going to do it his own way, and anybody who doesn't like it can just get lost. Yeah, because and the I crazy thing knows... was coming into this weekend, they were level on points with the city. Well, yeah, it's just staggering, it really. City have done. <laughs> yeah, you did have the game in hand, but I, I think that's to to both of your points about how. Not great <laughs> this year has been for the bigger sides. Uh, to put it into perspective, everybody knows it's surprising. Uh, but statistically, Newcastle and Everton are the only two sides to have broken up the top six over the last five seasons. And as it stands right now, we have two clubs breaking it up in Leicester and West Ham. And if you want to consider Spurs being in the top two teams as breaking it up further, you may if you'd like. I certainly will. Um, but... I think Rob was hitting the nail on the head with the kind of greater financial equality. Uh, then this probably will continue. And I definitely think we'll see more than just two sides in the next five years breaking up that top six with the big teams. If ever, I think, I think West Ham are the outsider that, that could launch themselves into the mix with the new stadium, with a manager who's got a reputation around Europe, more, more as a player than as a manager, but he's done well as a manager. Yeah. With owners who have shown a willingness to spend, and with all this money coming in, and their scouting's been good. Like yeah. I, I realize your point about West Ham don't really have tremendous players, and they have a lot of players that are blossoming right now, and we're not sure how long they are. But they got Ogbonna for a song. Alex Song hasn't really been involved at all. Mark Noble is quietly very steady in that midfield. Mark Noble is the remix of Scott Parker. He is. Oh my god, I love Scotty Parker so much. Um, no, they do. Like, I mean, Tiago Sacco is fit. Then they have good strikers up there. Andy Carroll is a perfect change of pace striker. He yeah, shouldn't Car- be your first one, but he's Carroll's always in. guy you bring off the bench when you yeah. change a game. Sacco's good. Valencia is good. Oh yeah, um, I forgot Inter Valencia. I love Inter Valencia. I don't mind Cresswell. Byram looked good in his few matches they've, there. They've got a good, good academy there. Reese off and Adrian is one of the star. more underrated goalkeepers in the Premier League. He is, but he's also a bit of a mignolet. <laughs> like he he will just, he just, he does the odd mignolet. And for me, like you're never going to be a top keeper if you're doing a mignolet. Like you look at the top clubs, you've got Hugo Lloris with your lot, you've got Joe Hart with City, De Gea, Czech, Courtois. Courtois. Not that great. He has, but I think the injuries, the injuries early this season, and when mm-hmm. he what he came back into was a fucking disgrace. Like, um, and then like we've got Begovic, or we've got we've got Mignolet. Sorry, I wish we had Begovic. <laughs> um, and not, not that he's great either, but you know we've got Mignolet. He just he stands out. Begovic like a sore is thumb. It's it's this whole thing that we had to deal with with Gomez versus Friedel, where Gomez would save things he shouldn't and allow things he shouldn't, but Friedel will just block everything he's supposed to and miss everything he's not supposed to. Yeah. yeah. Largely because he was 56 years old when well, he signed him. Also, yes. <laughs> um, but I, I like your West Ham shout. If Everton can buy a real keeper and get in a real manager, because Everton, make no mistake, have been the big winners this season and that nobody is paying attention to how crap they've been. Mm considering how talented that squad is. And the thing is, Martinez should have been sacked weeks ago, and if he leaves Everton in the, in the summer, he will get another Premier League job. Yeah. Because there's this illusion that he's done a good job there. And I think what we talked about on your left. show, Beals at Everton. Make it happen. Oh, it'd be so funny. It'd be great. Beals and Klopp <laughs> in the same city would just be... <laughs> that would be... Just, the press conference is like, very... If you had Beals and Klopp in Liverpool... And Pep and Jose in Manchester. And Pochettino, and who's going to take over Arsenal or Chelsea? Pochettino, Pochettino, I think, I actually think De Boer is the most likely to go to Arsenal, but I just don't know. And I really hate that, but uh, things at Ajax have been so weird. Mm. I don't don't know if some of those struggles are because of him. I know there were huge arguments with the scouting team, and then they've left. I I do think that's the type of club, though, that has a shelf life because of the financial burden, the financial restrictions yeah. I think he can only go so long there I think that's who ends up at Arsenal I think Conte then, is yeah Conte is what Rasmus on, said for Chelsea he's, he's nailed on to be the next ex-Chelsea <laughs> 12 months from now yeah um, so yeah I like Everton Southampton have shown they can beat anyone but they can also lose to anyone so they need to iron that out and Palace have, had been doing very well before they decided to just tumble all the way down the table but 
Wickham has finally decided to show that he can score goals every now and again. And having Balassi... Zaha, by the way, is the most frustrating player to watch in the Premier League on a consistent yes. basis. If he tried 20% less random skill moves that don't even beat his defender, he would be twice the player he is right now. It's so incredibly frustrating. But he sends in so many crosses. Balassi sends in so many crosses. Goodbye creating up the middle. Jason Punchin on his day can be fine, but he's been injured and horrible all season. But, you know... The, Kabai brought them up to this level, again, before they tumbled. If they bring in a, like an established attacking midfielder, or if they bring in someone like Davy Clausen, all of a sudden, like, oh, all right. Well, he, he was the first of, like Rob has mentioned, these players going to clubs that you kind of, you're like, why is he going there? Kabai going to Palace. Now, I'm not a huge Kabai fan, but he was first choice for France. And he was immediately their best player. Yeah, he was leaving PSG, where I'm sure he was earning an absolute ton of money. And all of a sudden, he's at Palace. And you're looking at, you know, half the league and thinking, like, what are you doing letting him go there? Why aren't West Ham or Everton or... We were linked. Yeah, and he would have been good for you. Like, he would fit well in what your midfield was. He wouldn't now, but he would have at the time. Yeah, because we needed a passing midfielder. You needed a Scotty Parker. <laughs> well, we have one of those, kind of, in Eric Dyer. I'm going to take that back because they're very dissimilar players. Um, all right. Uh, now, well, any last thoughts from anyone? Rob, you haven't been in here in a minute. Um, no, I mean, I think we've, we've summed we've that up, that really. Yeah, yeah, I think, yeah. Without ever actually saying anything new, we've just kind of been recycling this. I, th- I think to sum it up, the quality of the league's probably down, but the excitement is perhaps up. And uh, when you look around, I mean, sometimes you can look at the Premier League and think, oh, God, you know, it's not quite as good as what it used to be. And I agree with, I take Dave's point that the quality is perhaps down. But then you look around Europe and you look at some of the other leagues and you think, well, I'd rather watch this one every week because at least it's exciting and at yeah, least there's some competition there, you know. It's an argument. Two friends of mine used to have this argument. One of them was an Everton fan. And he used to argue that Everton were better off because they, they had Moyes and they were always going to finish somewhere between 6th and 12th. And they knew in August what they would be come the following May. Mm. My other friend was a Crystal Palace fan and he would argue that it was more fun for them because they would get promoted, they would get relegated, they would get promoted, they would get relegated, so on and so forth. And he thought it was more fun to be one of them because you didn't and know what the season would We've heard that from Jay when he, when he mentioned uh, that, uh, not this year because obviously they've been having great success, but that they kind of missed walking into a ground knowing that they would win, which is something that isn't as prevalent when teams like that are up in the... Yeah, but even then... Dan like, as well from West Brom. You know, they, 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 there's, there's a bit of excitement in a relegation battle as well because every game means something right up till the end of the season. Like Everton season used to be over in February under Moyes because they, they would just be mid-table and that's what they were. Um, at least if you're in a relegation battle, you're going to games in April and May and they mean something. And Jay, if you listen to this, I really hope you're not one of those people that signed right? that petition. <laughs> really that do. wouldn't be great. All right. Uh, well, now we're going to head into Player Watch. Where we're going to quickly talk about a player that impressed and one who disappointed in our club's most recent fixture. We'll start off with you, Rob. Um, in terms of who impressed, there was actually quite there was a handful. Um, so, I mean, the obvious ones were sort of Aguero, who was absolutely fantastic from start to finish. Um, you know, could have scored more goals than he did. Ran the Villa defense ragged. Worked so incredibly hard throughout. You know, gave a really, really good performance. David Silva and Yaya Toure as well. Gay, you know, they sort of um, reminded those who are very easy, you know, very quick to forget how good players can be. Just, just what they can offer. But in terms of the more sort of surprise um, ones, it was Navas and, and Gail Clichy. I think both players have had criticism in the past. Um, but this was a game where both performed really well. I mean, Clichy um, acted as a as a winger as well, as well as a, as a fullback, which obviously is the job of a modern day fullback. Really, delivered some fantastic balls into the box, defended well, and the thing, of course, he's been in a battle with 
Alexander Kolarov for the supremacy at left back for years and a lot of people haven't been able to make their mind up whereas for me it's always been a very straight choice that if they're both fit and playing well then Gail Cleese is twice the player he's actually a footballer um, yes Kolarov has probably got one of the best deliveries in the Premier League and that can be dangerous and that can create chances and statistically he does sort of rack up assists and chances created etc but he's not a footballer Gail Cleese can you know, play in a football inside, take the ball comfortably, move with it, play one-twos. He's just, he can actually play the game. Uh, and I think he showed that on, on Saturday again, that he is far, far superior when he's sort of confident and, and playing well. And Jesus Navas is a player who I've never really understood the criticism of. He was signed for less than £15 million. He's a squad player and he's an absolutely fantastic squad player. That He works incredibly hard. He offers something different to anybody else in that squad. Nobody else is direct, pacey, that kind of thing. He he brings that. He's a plan B. And uh, he was absolutely superb from start to finish and probably was the man of the match, even given Aguero's goals. Um, you know, he's not a world-class player. Probably, you know, nobody thinks that. But the idea that, he, you know, at the beginning of the season in particular, he was sort of becoming the boo boy. I mean, it really was ridiculous that he was being treated in that way when, you know, he is an excellent player for the money and everything else. The value he's actually offered City has been remarkable. I mean, you know, if you could click your fingers and, and put the best squad together in the world, Jesus Navas would be nowhere near it. But the bottom line is you have to have a spread of quality in a squad and, and Navas offers something different, works hard, he's ultra-professional. Uh, didn't cost a lot of money and he's actually a very, very good player and I think that he should be uh, embraced by the City fans more than he is. Uh, in terms of who didn't play well, I mean, it was one of those games really where nobody didn't, you know, play dreadfully. But Wilfred Bonney was was definitely the the one player who sort of stood out as as not, you know, reaching anywhere near his best. He's Touch was poor, a couple of his layoffs didn't come off and he missed a couple of absolutely glaring opportunities and was taken off. Um, I'm not sure why Pellegrini is persisting with him as second-choice striker when you've got Kelechi and Acho on the bench who is averaging a goal about every 70 minutes uh, and looks unplayable when he's given a run. Um, he's a star of the future, there's no question about that. And I think the way the City fans look at it is we need to get into 50 games as quickly as you know the club needs to get him there as quickly as they can um, because he's going to be a great player for, for the football club and at the moment Pellegrini's sort of reluctance to use him as, as regularly as he probably should be doing you know that's seen as kind of holding the player and the club back in the long term so it was a, a baffling decision it was one of those decisions that when it was made you know before kickoff everybody knew it was the wrong decision. And when that is the feeling, and then 90 minutes later, everybody is proven right, that does not look good on the manager at all. And uh, it was a case of one of those where nobody could understand the decision. Everybody was saying, what on earth is he doing? And uh, you know, the manager was wrong and everybody else was right. And that shouldn't be the case ever. Right. And Dave, who impressed and disappointed in your win against Palace? Um, Emery Shan was fantastic. Um, best end of the pitch. season for you. Um, I don't know. Like he's been really good since Klopp took over and put him in midfield. Bar he, he won drop off. Um, leading up into the cup final where he was a bit poor for a couple of games, but I thought he was our best player in the cup final. He was our best player in the league game against City. And he just dominated dominated the Palace midfield. Um, Firmino didn't play particularly well, but took his goal really well. Um, I, we had more disappointing players than, you know, impressive players. The one who, you know, deserves the most criticism is Milner. Um, just standard practice with him at the minute to just be an idiot. Uh, he can't tackle, he never could, and he just launches himself into tackles that he has no business going anywhere near. Um, and if it wasn't for the uh, the ridiculous double yellow card in the North London derby, I think people would have give, given him a lot more criticism in the fallout from the weekend. Because and then Mata just, did it as well. It was yeah, such a weird week for them. You know, and like he's just... 
I, I don't see the point of James Milner. He he runs a lot. That's literally it, and he and he does it really really slowly. Um, he wastes so many set pieces. I just I we're going to be paying this guy a hundred and fifty grand a week for the next three or four years, <clears throat> and it, it really just it's it's horrific. He, he got his Joe Cole contract, and he is morphing into Joe Cole week by week by week. Um, but uh, like it's nice to see Sacco back. Lovren was decent by his standards. Um, Klein got a rest, which was huge. That was one of the big things for us to take from that game, is that Klein got a rest and Moreno got a rest, obviously, in the, the game against City. Those two have been massively overplayed. Um, we literally were, we have two, two acceptable fullbacks and that's it. And like Rob was talking about the City situation with fullbacks and He's spot on. Clichy's 100% a better player than Kolarov. Kolarov would make would be a prime example for the, the argument for bringing in the designated kicker for like free <laughs> kicks, corners, penalties, that kind of thing. Um, the guy just doesn't have a football and brain. Um, the, I just wanted to ask Rob, like the, the situation at right back this year, like Zabaleta is far better than Bakary Sanya. Is it injuries? Has he slipped massively? Like his his loss to the team seems to have been enormous as well. It is. It's an enormous loss because he was there was a three year period there where he was, you know, unbelievably good. Mm. Not just consistent. He was going above and beyond the, the call right of duty in the world. Oh, without a question, without a shadow of a doubt. I mean, I don't watch loads of European football, but there was nobody really. Right back, who you know was competing with him in terms of a consistency and b his ability to 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 um, you know to add to things going forward. I think he's it's it's kind of painfully ironic that a couple of injuries. I mean, this is a man who was indestructible for years. Let's bear in mind, nothing seemed to put him on the sidelines, and then he suffered two very big injuries. Um, in one short space of time and you know he wasn't the quickest player anyway he seems to have lost another half a yard of pace it's too early to write him off completely but at the moment he is number two choice and, and quite rightly I think even you know even sort of the, the most passionate City fans and let's bear in mind he is the, the fans number one um, number one player in recent years, you know, even with heroes like Torre, Company, you know, Silva, Aguero, Zabaleta is the one who's sort of every City fan stops and says he's their favourite. You know, I think you, you'd have to go quite a long way to find one who didn't say that at the moment for the biggest games, Sanya completely deserves to be starting because he's less of a liability defensively at the moment. And uh, he has been, it's been painfully sad. I mean, there's been signs actually in, in recent weeks of the old Zabaleta returning. Uh, but then he's got the runaround a couple of times as well. So you're left in a situation where Sanya's the safe option. I mean, Sanya is offering us nowhere near what Zabaleta was offering last season, season before, etc. But at the same time, he's a safer pair of hands right now. And that, that makes him, you know, first choice by, you know, not not a huge way, but some quite, you know, some distance. He's, 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 well, in, he's well in control of that position. Uh, player who impressed, um, hmm, hmm, wow, uh, not as prepared for this as I thought it was going to be, uh, Harry Kane's goal was excellently taken, um, hard to give it to a defender with, with the two conceded goals, maybe Moussa Dembele, who, who just, as soon as he, in, as soon as he's in there, just the midfield looks so much more stable, uh, so I was very pleased with him, uh, the player that disappointed, obviously, Hugo Lloris, um, Right now, if you guys had to say, we already mentioned Courtois struggles a little bit this year. Hart seems to be having a little bit of a better year. Right now, no discussion, best keeper in the Premier League. Rob, you taking Hart? I will take Joe Hart. Now, I was um, quite a big critic, quite a vocal critic of Joe Hart not so long ago. Um, I thought there was some serious holes in his game, his you know his distribution, which still is a problem. To be fair, uh, was letting him down. He wasn't commanding his area too well, and 
the days of him being able to make that one save in the game that he needs to make um, appeared to be over. And I, I was very much in the mind that City probably needed a new goalkeeper if they wanted to achieve their ambitions. And over the last 12, 18 months, the, the rise has been rapid uh, and constant. And he is right back to where he was, uh, to where everybody thought he was going to be. Um, you know, all those years ago when he burst onto the scene at this stage of his career, he's looking better than he's ever looked. Um, he's producing week in, week out, and the mistakes he's making are minimal. Um, I'm very, very impressed with him. And uh, to be honest, I think when the whole package is taken into account, and by that I mean... He's standing with the fans. The fact that he understands the club, he, he's, he's the only player at the football club who has a, you know, seems to understand um, the importance of the fans. I mean, probably Zabaleta and company are the other two who who sort of come close. But Joe Hart just seems to have this relationship and understanding with with them uh, that I think is really important. And when every element is taken into account, his homegrown status, his relationship with the fans, the fact that he's been at the club for so long, just how good he is on the pitch. I don't think City fans would swap him for any other goalkeeper uh, in the league. And that's not to say that there aren't, you know, other goalkeepers that challenge him purely in technical terms. But the whole package, I think, means that he is the keeper that City fans want and uh, they wouldn't swap him. And uh, I would back that now. I've been completely won around over the last 12, 18 months because the improvement has been clear for everybody to see, really. Mm. Dave, if you could have one keeper that's not Mignolet. <laughs> um, from the Premier League, I'd probably take Jack Butland. Mm. Um, yeah, I was wondering look, if we were going to get a dark horse like him or Forster in there. The, the best The best three for me are Courtois, De Gea and Loris. I think they're the three best keepers of the league. And then Peter Cech, then Joe Hart. But I actually think the gap between the top three... The top two are the top two, uh, Courtois and De Gea. I think Loris is on his, on his own as three. Is it because he's short? I, what's the deal there? What's, what's with the Loris? I, I, I think he is a little bit more error-prone than the other two. Not to say he's he's not error-prone, but... Sometimes he lets in goals that I look back at and think there's absolutely no excuse for that. The goal at the weekend is one. Um, so I, he was a bad time the, for me to bring this up. Huh? He would be my yeah, but I, I, I would always have said this anyway. I do think he's I do think he's one of the top six or seven keepers in the world. Like um, I would say, Hart and Czech are four and five and interchangeable. But I look at Butland at I think he's twenty two. And I look at what his ceiling could be and where he is already. Like he's been phenomenal this year for Stoke. Um, I, I think he'll be England's number one within two years if he makes the right move. I don't think he'll do it at Stoke because I think he's going to need to be in the Champions League. I think he's going to need to play, be playing for a big club as well for Hodgson to even know he exists. Um, so I think he, if, I, if Liverpool are buying a keeper this year, I would actually go to Germany and pluck Timo Horn. But if they're buying the Premier League, the one I'd want and the one I think we could get is is Jack Butland. Mm. I for this season at least I'd put Lloris and De Gea as the top two with Courtois at three, and then mm, fill in yeah, your this rest season definitely there. yeah yeah. So just fill in your rest from there. Um, I think what Forster has done since coming back has been just absurd. Mm. Uh, just kind of reminding everyone. Some people like myself saw Stecklenburg at Southampton at, after his massive failure at Fulham. We're like, oh, Stecklenburg's finally kind of back. And then seeing then Forster come back in that job and being like, oh, oh, right. Yeah, no, that's much better. Okay. You know, the thing <laughs> is, like, England went through a period where, like, Rob Green and Scott Carson and Paul Robinson and all this other dross was number one for quite a long time. From when, like, the Siemens peak kind of ended. Mm-hmm. Up until Hart established himself as number one, it was like probably what about a ten-year period of absolute garbage. Now yeah, you've there got are a few good ones, yeah. Now you've got Hart, you've got Butland, you've got Forster. That's three really good keepers that you would be more than happy to go into any one-off game with any one of those three in goal. Yeah. So it's a, it's a big thing for England now with having those three. All right, uh, well, now we're super out of time. Rob, City don't play in the Champions League until next week, but we'll quickly do 
Uh, one word answers. Are Tottenham going to beat Dortmund? No. Dave, are Liverpool going to beat Man United? Yes. Great. <laughs> That's our show. Uh, if you want to tell the folks where to reach you or any projects you're working on now, be a good time. Okay, thanks for listening and thanks for having me on. My name is Rob Pollard. I'm the Manchester Evening News correspondent for City and United and also the Bleach Reports correspondent for City. And uh, if you follow me on Twitter at Rob Pollard underscore, you can find most of my work there. I'm Dave Hendrick. I You can mainly find me with the Anfield Index on the main podcast. I have my own show called Another Podcast. Um, I run... All in Sports Talk with Steve Gennaro. I, I say I run it with him. He does all the work and I just kind of take the credit. Um, Kev is a regular guest on their daily shows. Um, we're ramping things up uh, as I move to Toronto in April. And we're hoping to pretty much grow that in the side. world. Yeah, that's what people tell me. So I'm looking forward to it. Um, so yeah, check out Unlike the Liverpool players, we're setting the bar really high and then it has to live up to it. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so allinsportstalk.com, anfieldindex.com, at allinsportstalk, at anfieldindex. I gave my Twitter handle at the start, but you, you don't want to follow me. It really isn't nice, so just just ignore it. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm at Kevroff on Twitter, as Dave mentioned. I'm the Premier League correspondent for All in Sports Talk, which you can listen to on Tuesdays. I write fantasy articles uh, at uh, theeaglesbeak.com and fantasy updates over at playtaga.com. Also host the FPL Roundtable, uh, which you can find on this very audio stream that goes up Thursday mornings. And then, of course, this show, which is usually out Monday and Friday mornings. Uh, this week, obviously, coming to you on a Tuesday. So, hope you're not mad. Thanks. Uh, and, uh, with that, we will say, again, thank you so much for joining us. It's been a pleasure, as always. And we hope you keep listening. 